What is up, everybody? It is Tuesday night, day after Memorial Day. Welcome yeah. back to the Orion Podcast. No, my name's Chad. That's that's Zach over there in the corner. We're glad yeah. to have you. <laughs> We made it. We made it. Uh, yeah, one fishing trip and a few arrows, and here we are. Um, welcome back, everybody. Welcome back to the Orion Podcast. We've got uh, Miss Jean in the house. As always, thank you for being here, Mr. Dustin. Good to see you guys. Good to see you guys out in the fandom. Do we have fandoms? Is that I a word? Sure. Sure. Sounds good, don't yeah. it? Yeah. Should have changed out the background of your big hook set yesterday, the drone footage. Yeah, that could have yeah. been our intro. Could have been our was, intro, but it was a mean rock, whatever it was. Zach hooked into something yesterday. We never got to see it. It was not a tree. Was not a tree. I, I can verify. I watched the whole shift and movement of the entire boat and the entire thing, and it was the head shaking. It did pull drag for a minute. It can be as big as we want it to be because we never put eyes on it. So. I'm pretty sure it was a school bus. Yeah. It, I, it was big, dude. Whatever you had a hold of, it was big. Drone footage. I was, I was certain I was going to get popped right in the forehead with the bottom half of that rod. That's okay. But uh, I would not have cried. No, well, I broke first, so it was good. It's good. Uh, well, welcome back to the uh, to the Hoosier State temporarily, my friend. It's good to yeah. good to have you. Good to hang out for a little bit yesterday and. Out here in nature tonight. Out there in nature tonight. Not your usual podcast studio. No. No, it's a little breezier. A little breezier. A little different. The crickets are a little noisy, but I'll take it. Rudy says, "Uh uh-oh, fish stories. Well, Rudy, the good news is I was there with cameras, so you're going to get to see some of the fish story unfold. I barely, for the record... I barely got the drone into the air and struggled to get everything turned straight down. But <laughs> the drone was the drone was taking off as I set the hook. <laughs> it was, and it was literally flying out of my hand. It was a hand launch deal, and there was nothing about the whole situation that wasn't typical Chat and Zach sketchiness. Oh yeah, been well, verified as of usual. Yeah, nothing nothing unusual about that at all. So while we're while we're here and while we're talking, it's time to pay a few bills tonight. We've got to pay the bills. We've got to keep this podcast moving. First of all, we want to thank Orion Coolers for uh, letting us do this thing. For you guys out there in uh, 
in the land that are looking for something, looking for a little Orion cooler. Um, Orion rocks at checkout. Save yourself 5%. We've got a new cooler getting ready to drop this week. A new, we've had the yellow limited cooler out. We've got a new limited edition 55 quart cooler dropping this week. Excited about that. It's uh, it's one I picked out personally myself. Um, yeah, excited for you guys to see that one. It's uh, the that last fifty-five one was, such a good size too. It is a it's a good family size. It's yeah. a good family size, good for the party. Um, yeah, and then of course can't thank Orion Coolers without thanking Jackson Kayak. Uh, Jackson Kayak allowing us to to do what we do. Uh, Z Pro Lithium keeping us powered up. Zach got a he got to feel some of that Z Pro power yesterday for the first time. Yeah. And, yeah, that battery hadn't been charged in three days for the record. Yeah. Yeah, so it was on a three-day kayak fishing bender, and it was still had plenty of power. Fine. Yeah. Um, Basco, Basco Fishing, good stuff, good clothes. Check them out, bascofishing.com. And as always, Cast King, Cast King Rods and Reels, the fishing line, killer stuff. Uh, check them out at castking.com. Pick yourself up an MG12. You will not be disappointed. Magnesium frame beast of a real be the lightest thing you ever put your hands on guaranteed uh yeah yeah what do you think it was gene wants to know what we think the fish was it probably had whiskers if we were to put money on it i'm gonna say it had whiskers or it was a foul hooked carp yeah that's a possibility there's some big carp in that lake there's some big carp Hindsight, it could have been a giant wiper bass, a hybrid striper. Possible too. There was, there was a little bit too. of head shake, a little bit of head shake, and then it just—it was, it was almost things. like it swam to the bottom and stuck its head to the bottom and just sat there. It was one of the three. I'm gonna go with one of the three. All right. Now we've got a pretty cool it was, guest it was tonight. As long it was as long as the bite FD too, if anybody's asking. It was as long as the bite FD, weight as much as a school bus, and there's drone footage. You know, the drone footage could reveal. <laughs> we launch it right here. <laughs> we could. I haven't looked at it, to be honest with you. If it's clear, if water's clear enough, we might actually get to see it. I don't know if I ever had that close to the surface. <laughs> I don't know. We're going to find out. It was only in like eight and a half feet of water, so. It was clear on that side. The drone footage could actually tell the tale. Could. I'm I'm interested. I'm interested. Now I got my to Google it. So we got a cool guest tonight. Cool guest tonight. New to the show. He is a fishing guide. Hails from Miami, Florida. He's got some wild fishing stories, I'm sure, to tell us. We are excited to hear his story as we are, everybody's. Um, welcome, Captain Alex bone collector kayak fishing did you we're putting you in the big screen it's not about us it's about you we've already had our little shore as this thing starts i mean it sounds like zach zach hooked noah's ark is what it sounds yeah. like yeah, it, <laughs> it could have very well like. been part of noah's ark <laughs> like, what it felt like joe log swim exactly <laughs> they, they pull back sometimes they do pull back sometimes. I've fought that a good one. I had a gnarly head shake. So, I, you know, it's possible. It's possible. Uh, the, if the drone, my, if drone picked it up, we'll know here shortly. I've had my fair share. 
monsters, monster hook sets and this big old log comes out. But I've also had logs that have pushed back. <laughs> you think you're hung up on the bottom and you're still tugging and ain't moving. And you're like, man, what is going on? And then uh, it wakes up and takes off. You're like, oh boy, <laughs> big old snook. He's just, just taking a break. <laughs> yeah, a big old snook comes out out of nowhere. A 40 inch snook decides to wake up and cause mayhem. I do thank have you for having me. Snook. I do have one snook under my belt, but it was only about yay long. <laughs> They're all good. Small, big. They're all good. It's just, the bigger they get, the weirder the fight gets. It gets more interesting. Yeah. <laughs> it gets uh, it, it makes you uh, your heart patter a little bit when they start getting bigger and bigger. They make oh, you yeah, think. I can imagine. They, they they'll make you think, especially if you're uh, in near structure, and things get uh, gnarly. It gets yeah. You, you got to be quick on your feet. Now the tarpon I imagine so. Tarpon, tarpon from a kayak. That we'll, those, we need those to get into are, that. Those are fun. Those are fun. Tarpon's still I, on my list. I've done the the big ones. I've, I'm pretty. I'm not sure if you guys ever heard of. Well, before that, thank you for having me on the show. Start hey, no problem, man. We got off uh, straight on to Noah's Ark over here with Zach. Um, that that's pretty <laughs> regular on the Orion podcast. <laughs> Squirrel. Uh, uh, Back in the days, I'm not sure. I haven't even followed it anymore. But back in the days, uh, I want to say 2009, 2008, there used to be a kayak tournament called Kayak Wars. Mm-hmm. And uh, I did it two years in a row. We came out of nowhere. I made uh, the G- dream team is what we did. I put together some of the craziest guys down here in South Florida. And it was always the same group of people that were winning the tournament. And I it was, it was time for to put that to sleep and we pissed off a lot of people we showed up kind of <laughs> we we hustled the, the the whole scheme we stayed quiet for about four or five months kind of putting a couple <laughs> numbers here and then we just laid the hammer on everybody blackfin tunas wahoos sailfish giant tarpon i think throughout wow. the first first few years of the tournament every year i think only like 10 tarpon were caught and on the first week you were allotted 10 tarpon a week, and on the first, like, two days, I dropped 10 tarpon. So I oh, crushed wow. Yeah, I crushed it. I caught over 130 tarpon in that little period of time. And wow. every fish was every fish was between 63 inches to, like, 80-something inches. So you're talking oh, about yeah. 60 inches to about 140, 150-pound tarpon. I wow. caught a lot of tarpon. So I'm kind of tarpened out. I've caught them on the skiff. I've caught them at night during the day. I've caught them on fly kind of how I do it now, but kind of tarpened out. I do like the lo- the little ones. That's kind of my thing. I rather, yeah. I, I rather the micros all the way up to like 30 pounds, 40 pounds pushing it. They're manageable. You can get them on the boat, take a picture and let them go. And they swim off. Right. You, you get a big 60 pounder, 80 pounder and you're, you're holding it by that jaw and kind of twisting it onto the kayak. The mortality rate goes down significantly. I've watched it. I've had people tell me, oh, they swim off. They may swim off, but honestly, I've, I've followed them on the kayak, and I've watched them swim, kick 10 feet, and just roll over. It's yeah. done deal. Yeah. It's done deal. And if you're sitting in deep water, I personally, I'm not going to jump into 10 feet of water to go rescue a 100-pound tarpon because the chances mm-hmm. are that there's a big, giant shark swimming around are pretty high. Yeah, that was so, uh, that was my big question. I've seen the Scott Martin ones where they're always, you know, they always fight them. I've had it. I've had them jump on. I, I, I had about 60, 70 pound tarpon. I was fighting it and the fish started acting weird. And I watched the tarpon turn around 
and comes screaming underneath the kayak about mm -hmm. a foot from underneath the kayak and i'm looking at all this happening and right behind it was about a 200 300 pound bull shark chasing it down and like yeah. hit the bottom of the kayak and everything and unbeknownst to people bull sharks will jump out of the water everybody doesn't know about it but i've seen a, a, a lot of big bull sharks jump and it jumped out time for bedtime bubba <laughs> kiddo time for bed uh i watched this big 200 pound tar uh shark just jump on top of uh that tarpon's back and it was gone there was nothing i can do i didn't i didn't have enough time to open the bail it was just a cat and mouse game and i after that i've had a few instances where these bull sharks have done it to me a few times i just backed off i just I'll, I'll do the big tarpon thing every once in a while i've done it at night show up at the marina at one o'clock in the morning launch and they're they're underneath the bridges and you paddle yeah. Mm -hmm. 100 yards from the marina on the first bridge and you're sitting on the shadow line and i mean there's shrimp everywhere you throw big hoagies i mean anything with a, a big kind of slender profile that either mimics a, a mullet or a little shrimp it's lights out you'll jump 20 fish and land like two there's a bit of structure so you got to coach them out i've done that's, so uh, many of those that's sorry awesome. to interrupt you but talking about like mortality rate on those those big fish like that just overstress them and stuff what's the what's kind of the average age on like a 65 to 80 pound tarpon like you're probably looking at like a 30 40 year old fish yeah wow. that's what i was it's an old it's an old fish right I, i'll catch them don't get me wrong but i won't bring them up anymore i've had clients hook them and we'll fight them and i have certain techniques that leads lends itself to, to, to landing these fish a lot quicker. It ain't the safest. It, it's fun, but it ain't safe. You're literally reeling down on that fish's face, mm -hmm. and especially on the kayak. It's easier on the kayak than it is on the skiff because you have to be in tune with the guy that's driving the boat. But on the kayak, since you're being dragged, you can reel up right up next to that fish and your, your fish is swimming next to you while you're fighting it. And all you got to do is just hold that drag, the, hold the reel, palm on the reel and just lean back and the fish jumps. Now the, the odds are a 50, 50, that the fish jumps to the left and gets away from you or flops and lands on top. So now you got to play with the, the, the you, you got to weigh the scale. Do you want a 160 pound or between a 60 or a hundred pound fish landing on you and seriously hurting you or, right. or do you want to play this little gamut and get the fish done and you'll, you'll tire out a hundred pound fish in 10 minutes. You're done. The, the fish is flopped over. It's, it's over. The, the, the fight's over. I've done it a handful of times. I've done it on fly. I mean, government cut here in Miami is uh, last they dredged it. I think it goes down now to like 48 feet, 50 feet in some spots. You let a 80 pound, 60 pound tarpon sound and hit that bottom of that thermocline, and there's no digging that fish out. I don't care who you are. You're going to have to fight tooth and nail to get it out. And I, I warped a prototype when the red, with uh, Reddington came out with the vampin. I had mm. the prototype and I warped the the carbon the carbon fiber of the the rod instead of i i left it oval so that the heel of the the fly reel would shoot out in one direction you would have to catch it and just hold the rod and my buddy would have to come over reseed it and then we'll continue but i had to i sent that rod in and they had no idea how i warped the the spine of that fly rod i completely destroyed the fly rod it was it was done the the the, the rod was cooked they're like we have no idea how you did this but i never let that i never let that fish my my buddies that I've caught hundreds of tarpon on fly, their jaws were dropped. I was like, I've never seen someone manhandle a hundred pound fish like you did. I was like, 
I didn't let it go down that even five feet. I just bullied it. Mind you, I was not using IGFA leaders. I was just literally using a straight 80 sh shot all the way to the end. I could bully this fish all I wanted. It was straight 80. I was in no tapered leader or nothing like that. It was just go in there and, and muscle his fish. But that's how you beat them. You, you have to break their soul. Like if you don't demoralize them and they get that second wind and they start rolling and catching your breath, you're, you're in for a long battle with them. <laughs> so they're fun. I mean, I, I learned I learned a lot over those all those fish that I caught. They all have personality. They all do something different. They all fight you different. Some fish know the cadence and they'll kind of like do their thing and they'll jump and they'll run and then they'll just back off. And they'll hit the current, whichever direction it's going, and they'll ride that current all the way through. And it's up to you to either pump the brakes on them or get towed around for three miles and they'll end up in either a structure or a bridge or something and break you off. Right and up. then the problem is that now you've gone into an hour long fight and you've stressed that fish out. Although it's still kicking and dragging you, that fish is completely stressed out and your, your mortality rate just keeps climbing. Either it's going to get predated on by a shark or it's just, once you let it go, it's just going to die. So I've backed off of doing the big, the big fish, especially with clients. I mean, the higher end clients, I know what they're doing and I can kind of coach them and, and they're fearless and they fought big fish before because that's the other thing. You can't put someone that's never caught a, a big fish and, and put them on a, on a kayak and get dragged around by a hundred plus pound fish. Right. It's all about angles and you get that fish gets sideways on you and now you're fighting it sideways and you get off balance. You're either going in the water or you're flipping the kayak. It's one or the other. You want to be straight forward with that fish at all times and know how to turn that boat even with the rod you can spin that boat around or luckily now with a torpedo i can kind of ram them by the side and kind of pitch them in the, the right direction and kind of slow them down a little bit and kind of gauge which direction the fish are going and kind of move them in that direction but i stick to my permit i stick to my bonefish they're fun there you go they pull you... they pull just as hard and they're so much smaller and they're manageable <laughs> and they take pretty pictures and I know it's not a silver king and it's not this prestigious fish. Again, don't get me wrong. I love catching them. I just feel bad for them. I really do. Yeah. It, it just it, it's an onslaught that they take from from they December. On a lot down there. From from December all the way through June, it's nonstop. Because in December they're in the passes. They're they're either in Government Cut. They're in Key Biscayne. They're in the Miami River. They're in all these main main avenues. Uh, Hallover. They're on these main avenues, and there's a million people pounding on them. I drove through Bahia Onda three weeks ago, and I could walk clear across Bahia Onda, that two-mile stretch of Bahia Onda, and never touch, never wet a toe. I can mm. literally walk from boat to boat. That's how wow. many boats were parked under there. They were all catching fish. The, the tarpon were down there stacked up. I mean, there must have been a billion of them down there, but it happens every year. Right. So, but you imagine the pounding those fish take, it's just nonstop. So, yeah. Again, I'd rather go catch a 30, 40-pounder. You get everything you need from them they pull right. hard you're gonna get about right. a five ten minute fight they're gonna jump like crazy they're gonna try to get you in structure just like the big ones there's nothing different it's just a smaller scaled down fish and it's manageable i can grab it my clients can grab them and they don't they don't they won't hurt you or they won't hurt themselves as bad as a big one you can lift them up take a quick picture and send them on their way and they usually rock it out of your hands so mm -hmm. it's yeah. not like a, a small fish you know and, you can and land land more of them too, right? You can land exactly. You can. I I saw about was it two weeks ago? I was in uh, somewhere in Big Pine. We probably must have seen like two hundred 
but uh, tarpon. And just one little cove, there was just every 10 feet, there was another new school, like 10 or 12 of them, 10 or 12 of them every 10 feet. Wow. It was just, all right, we, we jumped on here. Let's move down 10 feet. Here comes the next school. You can see the big balls moving and them rolling. So, mm. All right, cost in front of them, boom, 20 pounders up in the air, 25 pounders. And you're up close to the trees, so you still have to you still have to put your get down and dirty with them and put the heat on them because they they will get you in the trees and they will jump. And I've had fish jump five feet into the trees where I've had to ditch the kayak, go into the mangroves, get them out because I can hear them flopping around on the and dry land on top of the trees. So I had to go in there and get them out. Hmm. Came out holding a tarp and my client's cracking up. I was like, yeah, I'm not going <laughs> to die. Take a picture with your phone, all right, and dump them back in. And you're good to go. And grab my kayak and and back at it again so nice but this is just the season for it i mean tarpon season's here from here to i want to say maybe early october mm -hmm. it's good especially with the micros the hotter it gets the more seasonal rain that we get the more fired up they get we start getting a lot of tannic water that gets pushed off from the roadways and from all the bayou all the back bayous that we have all the little estuaries mm -hmm. all that yeah. fresh water gets kind of pushed out the salinity rate crashes and the oxygen level crashes and they can handle it. So you'll see them jazzed up. And what we call, we call that shrimp patches. They're really not shrimp patches, but it's all the bait fish flickering, trying to catch air. Mm -hmm. So you'll see the water just moving with shrimps and little, little bait fish flickering and the tarpon are, are at a hundred Mach one because they're, you're gulping air and just pushing it through and they're just fired up. Right. So it's the easiest way to, to, to get crazy numbers. You, get out there one morning and you're kind of cruising you see the birds you better go and you show up and there's about a hundred tarpon tail slapping and free jumping and just having a, a ball and whatever you throw in there i mean whatever you can throw a a, a, a burner frog in there and they'll probably eat it i've thrown silly things at them during those things and they just smack everything it moves it's dead nice those are those are those fun mornings and this is this is where we're we're entering it we're here we're we're at that that pinnacle where it starts getting really good. It's hot, really hot. <laughs> so kind of backing up here just a little bit. So Alex, how did you, how did you get started in the outdoors? Like what, uh, what led you to the path that you're on now, as far as, as being an outdoorsman and, and taking on the guiding service that you have? Always fished. My grandfather instilled it in me, and it, it was a bug. As soon as I came down from California and started hanging out with him and got dragged around fishing with him, I I was eating, sleeping, fishing, fishing. That's all I wanted to do. And my grandfather loved fishing, so he would fish Friday, Saturdays, and Sundays. Mm -hmm. So I was out on the boat with him. And then uh, as time progressed and I got a little older and wiser, my parents had a house down in the Keys, a place in the Keys, and I spent – a lot of times, I was a keys rat for the summer. So I mm -hmm. it out, and the only thing that kind of drew me back up to my house in Miami was football season. And as I got older, that kind of took precedent, but fishing always took first step and went to school. And it just fishing always, no matter what career path or what hobby, secondary to fishing I would take, fishing would always kind of get steered back in it always i it, everything always led me to fishing and one day um we got rid of all the boats we got rid of everything i was sick and tired of shore fishing i didn't think it was it's just not my thing i really don't like walking banks mm -hmm. i kind of want to just disappear and get away from people and uh my grandfather was actually selling his old house and we had a property there he had a big property 
and I was able to store a boat there. And my grandfather was like, listen, we can't do the boat thing anymore because I'm going to sell the property. So no boat. My parents were like, no boat. I was living in an apartment. I was like, yeah, well, I'm not going to pay storage for a boat. And um, I had a buddy that had a kayak. He had a Pelican that he bought at uh, Sports Authority. He never used it. He just bought it just for for just purposes of having it. And I asked him to borrow it and I got on and I started moving around on it every, every once in a while I would borrow it and I was like, this could work. So I started shopping and got myself my first used kayak, which was a Cobra kayak. Um, I think it was a navigator, tiny little kayak. It was like mm-hmm. 10 feet or 11 feet long. And I outgrew that kayak in literally four months. Oh, after like I... the third the, the third or fourth big tarpon that I hooked off that thing, I was like, this is not safe. I do not feel good on this kayak. So I went, sold that thing immediately, and got myself a, a, a prowler, ocean kayak prowler, and actually was was real happy with that boat. That boat was, was it, it handled a lot of the pressure I gave it. I was able to stand on it, and that's when I started really exploring. I started going to the Everglades, doing the backcountry. Fishing the ocean, the the what we call the front side, which is the bay side, which is just flats, endless amount flats with some islands out there, and we were kind of pioneering that. There was not a lot of kayakers out there, and it was only maybe like five or six of us that were brave enough. Everybody had the stigma that you were going to get torn up by a by a croc or an alligator or a bull shark, some shark. So the kayakers never went out there. There was always stiff guides. So we started pioneering that, and we started pushing the limits with the kayaks. So like, let's keep going, let's keep going, let's keep looking. And that 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 sense and that urge to keep exploring just mm. evolved, and it just grew, grew, grew more. And I mean, it cost relationships, it cost all kinds of stuff, money, jobs. I mean, I didn't care. I just wanted to eat and consume this as much as possible because it was that much fun. I mean, we did trips from we did a trip from Flamingo to to Island Morada on the kayaks, which is probably like a sixty mile trip. Wow. The islands out there yeah we had people pulling up on skips and like boats like freaking out like do you need calls like do you need to get away from us i was like there's taking <laughs> permit and there's bonefish around here and you're like pestering us I'm like no we're just concerned you're, i was like i know where we're at we're in nine mile bank like, get away from us this is, we, we know what we're doing we really didn't know what we were doing we were literally sitting there with a with a with a paper map plotting our trout and be like all right i think this is the triplets this is uh the Lido. this is you know, Warsaw, this is uh, Johnson, this is Rabbit. Like, we were kind of, like, picking and choosing. We, we kind of had a route. We were, we, we were right on schedule all the time. Like, we didn't miss an island. So we were, we were, our, our plotting was, was pretty on point. But it just it just grew. And then um, I got a call. There was another teammate. There was a teammate that used to be on Jackson that reached out to, to Jameson and, and Brooks and mm-hmm. pretty much told them about me. Jameson and Brooks came down to Key West to fish with Randy, that he was part of the team as well, too, and they invited me with uh, Drew. Mm-hmm. So it was Drew, Drew Brooks, and um, and uh, Jameson. I think uh, – I forgot the other person that was in there. I, mean, I think there was someone else. But we all went down there, and I met all those guys down there, and I, I was able to get on the, the original, like the first like, models, like the pre-run models, like the test runs of the CUDA. 14 and i was like this is this is the boat it's fast it's stable the seating was amazing i was kind of sick and tired of the prowler sitting mm-hmm. in a in a pool, pool of water and uh, a couple days later i got a we all hit it off we all i just spoke to brooks the other day like recently for about an hour via text back and forth um i got a message like listen we want you on the team you would be an asset i'm kind of like in the middle between south florida like i'm this weird i'm i'm, I'm in this paradox is what i call it 
Mm-hmm. Um, um, I'm in this like melting pot of a lot of things going on, but it's it's a it's a haul all the way down here, and then I'm not really in that like cool like island kind of vibe like the Keys where Randy is, where it's kind of laid back. It's more chill. There's not a lot of people. I'm in this like congested, full of busy. It's like at a, always at 100 miles per hour here. Mm-hmm. So I've learned I've learned to deal with it, and um, sure enough, I accepted the, the offer and uh, jumped on it. Got the first Cuda. I got a uh, that yellow jacket. That was my first mm-hmm. uh, Jackson boat, and fell in love with it. But I kind of outgrew that boat because I, I stand so much on that boat. And that boat's good right. for standing, but the secondary stability on it was was killing my feet. Mm-hmm. And then, and I actually that's the only boat from the Jackson lineup that I've ever fallen off the kayak. And I fell off more than once. I fell off a few <laughs> times off that boat. <laughs> I wrecked a few times. I never fell off the the, the, the Cobra. I never fell off the Prowler. But I fell off that boat constantly. I was constantly wet. Uh, and then I jumped on the big rig. And that's when things were just starting to evolve. I, I was mm-hmm. really like stepping on the gas now. Yeah. I was getting a lot of offers about the guiding. A lot of people were picking up on it that I was down here. We started catching. We were catching bonefish. We were catching tons of snook, redfish. Catching everything. If you can stick the kayak in there, we were. We, I was in there. I was starting to learn a lot of the lower keys this time. Now I was like venturing down thanks to Randy. I was venturing down. I knew Marathon pretty well, but I never really ventured over the Seven Mile Bridge. It was kind of like a mystery to me. So I met Randy and started chewing that up. I was finding stuff for Randy as well too, and kind of we were mixing back and forth. And I, to this day, me and Randy, I consider him a, 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 a good friend. We talk just about weekly, like more than once a week. Like. We just talked a little while ago. He was sending me pictures of bonefish and he caught them fly this morning. And uh, it, it just grew. And then I want to evolve the, the, the kayak fishing down here. I wanted to, to make it seem more of a, a skiff guide. I have a lot of skiff friends that, that guide off of skiffs. So that mm. was my idea. I wanted to run my, my guide, guiding service like a skiff guide. They mm-hmm. have certain rules and they run the skiffs a certain way to find these fish and this is how they operate. So I took that piece of page and I brought it into my business. So I was like, you know what? I've had way too many inquiries. I'm always getting called by, by random people or getting sent emails that if I was a guide. So I started doing it part-time. I was working a city job. I was an inspector for, for, for a municipality down here in Miami. Thank God I left. It was just, I'm pretty sure everybody's heard Miami Beach. And Oh, yeah. <laughs> Let me tell you, that's that's something for off the air. I can tell you some horror stories over there. Miami Beach is not what it's painted to be. Um, good job. It's a good job. It was a, I had fun and met a lot of cool people. Saw a lot of cool things. Had a lot of cool opportunities. But it, it, it is a wild west over there. Um, so I started I, I started dabbling into the guiding. I started doing it part time since I had a, a a little bit of a leeway with the scheduling. I worked four tens. I had three days off, and I had a lot of PTO that they would give us. So I was I was never there. I would work two days a week sometimes, and as as the years went by, I was less and less there and more guiding. And they just couldn't figure out what the hell was going on. Why I was never there? I was taking these absences, not even getting paid because I was I was picking up clients that wanted to fish not one or two days and wanted to fish five six days. I said, well, this mm-hmm. can start working. So I started evolving that, and then twenty what are we twenty twenty three twenty the end of twenty twenty. I was really starting to pick up business. I was really, the, the business was starting to move. I was really exploring a lot more. I had the fishery, I don't want to say dialed in because I, I hate using that. I had an idea of what the fish were doing because once I say they're dialed in, I I, told, I lose total track. And these fish do whatever they want. You know, a lot of things change here from, we can get a hurricane this year and my whole fishery flips, the whole script flips on me. The fish that used to be in one area will not venture there anymore because 
the bottom's been torn up and it's just different and the fish are 10 miles down south so now i have to reevaluate the whole fishery so you know i have i have an idea what these fish want to do i was really dialing in or, or or really zeroing in on bonefish that's where i wanted to to base my business around the bone fishing in, in south florida miami it was was historically known for bone fishing mm. i remember catching my i remember for catching my first bonefish and i was probably like four years old five years old i was catching them in biscayne my parents my grandfather would go on the boat to to biscayne and we would do the safety valves uh, big finger channels that, that that lead in inside the bay but flush out to to the reef and we would fish these 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 channels that are like 18 between 15 to 18 feet and we would catch lane snapper because that's what my grandfather wanted to do he was a meat fisherman he wanted to catch lanes and snapper and grouper mm-hmm. tons of grouper in there and uh, we would get hounded by these giant bonefish inside these canals and my grandfather would get so infused he knew what they were because he caught them in cuba but he never it, it just wasn't his thing he's like i'm not really big into they're called macabi in spanish he's like i really don't want to catch and these things were like all oh, eight, 10 pound bonefish. And we were just getting mauled by these things and breaking leaders and hands getting torn up because these fish pull. And uh, that was my first intro to these fish. And I loved catching them. Like my, they would hand me all the lines. I'm like, here, let him pull them all in. And I would pull in a dozen of these bonefish. And I just fell in love with them all my life. I was always you know, in, intrigued by them, thrilled by them. And yeah. as I got, as in my adult life, I started chasing them more. I'm like, well, you know, I have, I have the backyard and I have the capabilities now because I can have access to them via kayak. They're not far. Everybody thinks you got to go a country mile to go find them. I mean, I can find them less than a mile away from the ramp. I don't have to go. My clients like, they're like, this is where we're going to go. I was like, this is where we're going to go. And you could almost see the car. I'm like, we don't have to go far. They just won't come to this side of the car because it's too close to the car. Like Mm -hmm. people fish that area, but you just have to go a couple hundred feet away from the ramp and, They'll come through here. They they love lanes. They love certain alleyways. They'll, they're they're very habitual fish. If there's a break, they, they they like traveling in certain areas, and they'll they'll work the tide according to the water depth. Like lately, I've been finding them at like in a foot foot and a half. I'll find them shallower than that, and they'll tail. I found tailors uh, last week. I found some tailors. My favorite way of catching them. And, and subpar of one foot of water, and they're sitting in like six inches, five inches of water, and these mm-hmm. big t- tails come up and they'll fan. And you'll see them work in the flat. They'll come up and they'll swim real high in the water column and they'll dip up. And it's like a redfish tailing, but they're more aggressive about it sometimes. And they'll right. dig hard. But they're very spooky when they're in that shallow water. Like You can't get within like 30 yards of them, but the kayak gives you that opportunity to get within that 30 foot of them. I can't mm-hmm. do it on a skiff, but I can do it on a kayak. I mean, I've had them five feet from me tailing and i'm like ducked underneath the kayak i'm like don't breathe don't move don't even don't do anything <laughs> and uh, they, they give you the opportunity in the kayaks it's such a small footprint so that that just you know made me think i was like wait a minute with a kayak i could be just as successful as it is in a skiff i just have to think out my my areas very mm-hmm. well with the tides learn what they're going to do at what time of the year because it's a year-round fishery so we, right. can, we can we can have this conversation now and catch bonefish today and then show up in December and we can still do bonefish and still be successful. Mm-hmm. I think wintertime, you won't catch numbers in the winter, but you catch giants in the winter. Like a 10-pound bonefish will fry any reel you guys have in your in your, your queue right now. Like if mm-hmm. you don't have 100 yards of line and, and a, a drag that can handle getting burned to, to a crisp, they will burn you. It's they're they're rockets. They're 
exactly what you've heard people tell you in stories and what the TV has shown. That's exactly what they are. They're they're mm-hmm. they're little missiles in the water, and they do not give up. They'll fight you from the start all the way to the boat. They'll fight you. They'll fight you to their death. I've had a lot of fish die on me, like especially this time of the year. They'll fight you so hard, and I won't even lift them out of the water. I'll grab my my D hookers and literally pop the, the the hook or the fly off of them, and never take them up, and they'll just flop mm-hmm. over. Literally, they'll just bend over and flop over, and I got to jump in there and grab them, and sit there for half an hour trying to revive them, and they just they won't because the water is 89, 90 degrees, and it's just not enough oxygen for them to to get themselves going. And I'll I'll turn the the torpedo on and kind of drag them around and see if they can get them into deeper water and like a little bit cooler water where there's current, and they still won't survive. Really? So I'm a little hesitant. I'm a little hesitant. I try to fish them early in the morning when the water's a little at its coolest temperature. I won't mm-hmm. fish them midday, but like wintertime, I could care less. I can fish them one o'clock, two o'clock. Crap. I think fishing them midday in the, in the wintertime is probably the best time of the day. I won't fish them in the morning. I'd rather fish them late in the afternoon, like midday to like beginning of like early afternoon, like two o'clock, three o'clock, high sun for mm-hmm. where the temperatures have gone up. But this is your opportunity. That's your opportunity to catch big ones. So to, to go full circle, I uh I just started growing. I had the big rigs. The big rigs really expanded my fishery. I I was comfortable. I could stand. I my clients were comfortable on those boats as well too. And and I can cover a ton of ground. And then the torpedo showed up and just like even changed the things even more. And now I can really push the envelope and be like, well, I can paddle a three mile sad spot, but now I can take a client and tow them the three miles and back. And and now we can do some even more damage out there. Mm-hmm. So things things evolved, and then unfortunately, I was fishing a client that I'm about to fish. I fish him a lot. He's he, I've been fishing this client now for four years, and mm-hmm. uh, he comes down every about three months. He gets sick of being home, and he he'll drive down from Virginia. And uh, I consider him a friend at this point. We talk a lot right, on, right. on the phone during during the year, and uh, he has an issue on the kayak for being there too long. He has a nerve issue in his leg, and his leg kind of gets numb. So I'm not gonna hurry. I wasn't hurry to get him off the the boat one morning and the marina for whatever reason on a thursday this miami for you on a thursday it looked like a saturday it was it was it was a disaster was a million people at the marina on a thursday mm-hmm. afternoon midday one o'clock and i was like freaking out because he needed to get off the kayak already and i had an issue with a torpedo with the tilt and trim and jeff little hadn't called me yet he called me a little while after that i was like well actually he called me on the water but i didn't i couldn't figure out what he was trying to tell me he was just like basically grab a rock and bang on the bottom of the motor I couldn't figure that out. I was like, what? Grab a what? A rock? A boulder? And I was like, all right, cool. I couldn't get the motor. It was the trip sensor that got stuck. And he basically, what he was telling me is like, tap the bottom of the pylon and the trip sensor will, will kick off and you, you're back to being normal. So I gave up on it. And I was like, whatever. I'll deal with it when I get home. I get to the ramp and I hurried up to get off. And that particular side of that ramp sucks. And I ended up falling. And literally, I, I knew what was going on because I've been, I, I avoided that end of the ramp. They don't need port maintenance here of our ramps in Miami. There's like maybe one ramp that they take care of. Everything else is falling apart. They don't clean them. There's algae. There's constant cars. I'm sure you guys have seen videos of constant cars sunken inside the ramp. Those are all Miami. Basically, 90% are all Miami ramps. People have no idea how to back a car up and they just swamp their cars. And then bad quality, all you got to do is just put the rear wheels a little bit into the water and you may slide in. So, right. I ended, up, I ended up slipping and ended up getting hurt and tore a tricep, complete tear of a tricep. So I had to get that Ooh. repaired, complete, completely wow. repaired. Spent 18 weeks in rehab, like immobilized, couldn't move my arm, finally got everything back together. So now both arms are finally good to go. It gave me a lot of time to think. 
I had 18 weeks of short-term disability sitting at home playing Call of Duty and, and watching TV because <laughs> there's really nothing I can do besides my hands right. in front of me. So I was like playing a lot of video games, a lot of PlayStation and, and, and doing research on SEOs, working on my website, you know, doing, doing a lot of, a lot of behind the scene work that I never got to do when I was guiding mm-hmm. and working. Cause I just didn't have time. It was my nine to five and then my days off the guiding. And then the few days that I did have off that I didn't have neither, I was spending time with the wife and, uh, and the kiddo was on the way as well too. So my wife said good time. And you know, we've been together for 12 years going on 13, never been hurt. And finally, as soon as we were going to have a kid, I get hurt. Right. She's like perfect time. Um, but we managed. And it just, like I said, it gave me a lot of time to to retrospect everything and just kind of sit here and 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 dwell on on my life in general. Like this is this has been a passion of mine for for since I was a little kid. Watching the mm-hmm. Jose Wahebes, the flip palettes, you know, they, they oh, were yeah. guides, you know. I, I I this is what I wanted to do, and I was like, why do I why why am I in such a fear of of jumping over this and taking this hurdle? I'm kind of pitter patting around it. And, and doing the, the part-time, and I, I decided to just be like, screw it. I'll quit my job when I get back. So I got back to, to Miami Beach. They thought I was coming back, and uh, I gave them the, the turnaround, and they're like, I'm sorry, but I'm out. <laughs> I think I worked for like 24 hours, and I left and plunged into my business full-time. So mm-hmm. yesterday, yesterday made the 29th memorial, made a full year of a full-time guiding. Congratulations, man. That's Thank awesome. You. So, so this, this year, instead of, I've, I've been part-time guiding for almost seven years. So mm-hmm. I was doing it for seven years part-time. I was losing clientele and dropping a lot of, dropping the ball a lot because I would have clients that would come in and I just couldn't get, take the time. I, I either had to refer them to Randy or refer them to, to another, another guide up north. And it just wasn't suited because they were, they were, they were here in Miami. And like, well, we, we don't want to drive down to Key West and we don't want to drive up to West Palm. You're, you're, you're just it. So I, I lost a lot of clientele and I was like, man, this is clientele that I could have built a rapport with and, and mm-hmm. gave them an, an experience on the water. And most, most of the clients usually either call back or, or they come back. So I was losing a lot of, a, a lot of on that. So I was like, you know what? My wife gave me the green flag. She's like, listen, do it. Like go after your dreams, work on it. You know? So I had 18 weeks, a little over 18 weeks of, of, of being able to sit behind the computer, work on my website. Everything's been done by me. I worked on all the SEO stuff. The, the YouTube thing kind of started now because I figured that kind of all kind of plays into it now too. Oh, yeah. I've learned that, unfortunately, the video thing, I gave up on it a long time ago. I was doing when Before YouTube started like picking up, I was doing tons of YouTube videos and we're pioneering doing crazy like little videos between like my buddies and us. We were all carrying on DSLRs before anybody in a kayak thought about carrying mm-hmm. a DSLR. We, we had DSLRs on boats and we were taking videos and, and taking pictures on, on on that, had GoPros and I gave up on it. A couple of my friends did keep up on it and they made careers out of, of being videographers. I just wasn't too, I like it, but it wasn't my thing at the moment. The fishing just, it, it just consumed me. I needed to focus on fishing. I can't right. do too many things at a time, but now that I have a little bit more control, over it the video thing is starting to come back i'm sure you guys have seen a couple of videos that i'll pop up every once in a while on, on, mm-hmm. on the group chat and i got more stuff that i i haven't popped up that i've i've just i just don't have time i mean i gotta throw it on youtube and i forget to schedule things as well too and i'm talking to clients like right before you guys i was talking to to any creek which is my my booking site thank god they showed up as well too because it's just streamlined and made my, my business so much more professional 
I mean, my clients can go into this booking site now. They can pick their dates. They can it's the deposits go in, and they're doing a whole blog post and and uh, a whole piece on me as well too now. So nice to help to help me out with my SEO as well too, and, and promote my business because like I said there, there's there's kayak guides down here, and the farther north you go. In, in Florida, the more you start finding them, because you know it, it's more suitable. The red fishing and all that seems to be a little, little easy, more accessible. Down here, it's not as easy. It looks easy, but it's not. Fishing down here is difficult. So I have to find a way to make my clients like to make that learning curve cut in half and, and be able to get my clients on these these game fish that are besides highly sought after and super pressured they're they're not easy they're smart they're 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 on to you constantly you know they're th- these fish are are phd graduates i mean mm-hmm. the permit we'll start off from tarpon fishing they're smart you catch one tarpon and it's kind of over you may catch another one but it's over once you catch one or two so now you got to figure out where to go find another pair or figure out how to to get them to eat again and then bonefish man they're all over the place. They, they, they're going to be in one spot for a very short period of time. They're always on the move. I was just telling the guys from Many Creek, they're always on the move. Those fish, that's why they're probably so strong because they're constantly on the move. It's like what's what pulls harder? You guys should understand this. A, a lake smallmouth or a river smallmouth? A, a, oh. river, a, a river smallmouth is, river. is a different animal. Oh, they're absolutely. Constantly, they're constantly working. Which is basically what bonefish are. They're constantly working. They're working against the tide. They're working with the tide. They're always on the move. That's why these fish move so hard and they bite so hard. Besides having such a big rudder on them. So these fish are moving. And then permit. Let's not even talk about permit. I mean, you want you want the most frustrating fish in the world? Go focus mm-hmm. on permit. You will be humbled. That's what I always heard. You will be humbled immediately. Like, you can throw crabs at them. You can throw flies at them. I've hooked six permit on fly and I lost all of them. And I've had... Good friends standing next to me that we can call right now and they'll they'll vouch. So I'm like, dude, we I watched that fish eat back and take off. Like, finally, Alex got his permit on fly and they just come on button. I gave up. I really don't care anymore. Like, if I see them and I toss a fly at them and they eat and I land one, hooray! But I'll, I'll throw I'll throw whatever I have. I'll throw crabs. Look, I caught two twenty pounders this, this past week and those things. I mean, uh, the video. I you don't even hear me talking. I, I, I looked at the video, I was like, man, I wasn't even like narrating like I usually do with a bonefish or like a red, like having fun. I couldn't talk. That fish had me pegged. Like I was <laughs> I was nervous and I was just puffing and puffing, trying to control my breathing because that fish was tearing me apart. Like it was giving me fits. 20 pound fish and these fish are they're strong. So I, I took took a lot to, to, to handle to get that fish. And once you get them next to the boat, they're 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 a handful next to the boat too. They they don't want to be held, so you gotta grab that rudder and yank them out and pray that they come out. If not, they jump back in and then for whatever reason, if you slip and they go back in, that's another five, ten minutes again of agony trying to get that fish next to the boat again. So you do not want to let them go. You get the death grip on them. <laughs> so but those those fish are, are wary. They they know they're flat, they know the horizon, they the their, their area really well. If you really study them and you look at pictures, they got the big old eyes. And I've watched them come up to the fly. The fly lands, and I've watched them come swim up and just stare at the fly. Mm. And they'll stare at it, stare at it, and just swim off. And you're like, wow. you got to be kidding me. And then you'll throw a live crab at them, and it's like, you get two reactions on a live crab. They'll freak out and take off and want nothing to do with it, or they'll they'll freak out and spin around and just gobble the, the, the crab up. They just can't resist it. You can huh. box the cast. You can botch it. You can put the, the cast like 
10 feet away from them on their side or behind them. And I've watched them spin around and chase the crab down. And eat. When they want to eat, they eat. So look, I've had friends caught them on topwaters. I've had them, I, I've caught more, more permit on jig heads, looking for per, uh, bonefish jig heads and a, and a tip piece of shrimp than I have on crabs. So go figure. I, I haven't figured them out. I, I really don't. I don't, I don't understand that fish very well. And I, I try not to even bother with them. Like I don't put them in a high, I used to put them in a real high pedestal. And I just kind of put them with everybody. I just kind of include them and everybody. And they're like, they're just a fish. They swim. It's just a fancy jack. That's all it is. It's right. a smart jack. Well, we got a so, question from the audience. Miss Miss Jean wants to know if you do any freshwater fishing. You're oh, in North yeah. Florida. Yeah, we uh, we do all kinds of freshwater down here. We do the peacocks. I mean, I'm, I'm 10 minutes. I actually had clients not too long ago. They wanted to catch the first peacock. They were from... I think they were from Virginia or Tennessee, somewhere from there, that area. They wanted to catch some peacock. And unfortunately, we caught peacock. But unfortunately, we caught more snook and tarpon in freshwater than we did peacock. But we had, yeah, I was kind of like bothered about it. And they were they were pumped about it. They're like, oh, man, they were nice tarpon, too. They were like 20-pound tarpon. Wow. And um, they were, they, we were throwing live uh, shiners at them, and they were just gobbling the shiners up. And I was just getting aggravated. I was like, man, they're beating the the damn peacocks to to the shiners and the snook too and these were nice snook right. too like 29 27 inch snook but they were thrilled about it they're like oh we finally knocked off another species you know we didn't even think we were going to catch these things and i was as far west in the everglades like looking for peacock bass as you can get and they're in there <laughs> but i do, we have such an array of fish down here i mean i got clown knives I'm, not, I'm like 30 minutes away from them i got sunshine bass i got peacocks i got snakeheads Yep. I got bass. I got Mayans. I mean, you name it. I caught, uh, there's, there's tons of catfish down here. I've caught plenty of nice cats as well too. I mean, I'm 30, I'm like from where I live, I'm 45 minutes away from Lake O. So imagine that. And yeah. they've been killing it in Lake O right now. They just did yeah. a world record bag over there a couple of weeks ago. Like I think Scott was- Martin, that Scott Martin was sour because he showed up and he thought he had the the bag and he was like, no, nah, dude, I was like, you're like the bottom of the totem pole with your 32 pound bag or 34 pound yeah, bag. Yeah, it was, like, that was insane. Yeah. That was, it was like 30 pound bag after I seen that. That was unreal. That I've was done it. Paul. I, I, we have, we have areas that are about 30 minutes away from, from where I live that, that are STAs. They're uh, staging areas for water to get pushed down. They come from NACO and they're WMAs, which is water management districts. Mm-hmm. And uh, some of them are open to the public that you could fish. So, like the one, what I'm talking in particular, you can fish Thursday, uh, Friday, Saturdays, and Sundays. That's when it opens. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you, the bass fishing in there. I, I hate bragging, but it was some of the dumbest bass fishing I've ever done. And I like bass fishing. I grew up fishing my grandma's lake, catching giant bass in her backyard, and no one ever even knew or even bothered to catch in her house. And she lived in, in the middle of Miami. And no one would fish it. And I would sit back there watching these eight pound, seven pound bass swim by her lake on the, on the dock. And I was like, I would go underneath the dock. And I figured out that underneath the dock were the palm fronds where my grandfather would throw them. There was crawfish down there. So I would just go grab four or five crawfish and just sit at the dock. I would watch the big bass come by and I would just throw the crawfish in front of them. And they would just turn around and you'd see them like flare up on them and swallow them. I kept them. Nice. Um, my first big bass was from that lake. And I kept it. And I froze it and I had it in the freezer because no one would believe me that I caught like a nine pound, like eight pound, nine pound bass. And I froze it and it was my grandfather's freezer for about a year, year and a half until he was like, dude, I got to bury it in the backyard because this is ridiculous. We've had this fish in saran wrap 
sitting in the freezer for over a year because no one would believe me. Everybody would be like, ah, they would brush me off. You didn't catch that. I'd be like, pull my beer, walk to the freezer, and pull out this <laughs> giant bass. I'd be like, here. <laughs> so uh, bass fishing down here is phenomenal. Um, it, it all depends. I mean, South Florida, the bass fishing is all right. You'll mm-hmm. catch your six or five pounders. There's too much competition, so they get kind of weird looking. Their heads are big and their bodies are real thin. Mm-hmm. But as soon as you kind of get to that West Palm County line, that you get a little past West Palm, the peacocks kind of fizzle out, and the right. Mayans start fizzling out, and you start getting the local like fauna, which mm-hmm. is what the there's less competition. The bass seems to be more the apex predator there. That's when they start getting big. But that one particular spot, we went. I went with a buddy of mine. We started bass fishing. And I think one the first day that we went out there, I caught maybe sixty bass. Not one fish was under four pounds. Wow. Everything was four to five. I must have caught maybe thirty, forty fish. It was so bad and they were so fierce that I was breaking leaders. I was at thirty pound leaders, twenty pound leaders, and they were just like like piranha. They were hmm. hanging out in these packs, hanging out on these edges of, of grass line and we would throw uh, we had we used gamblers out here, big swim baits. Mm-hmm. And um we were sidecasting them. We would throw it in front of them and start blah, 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 blah. And they would just destroy these things and get yep. you into the cover immediately. And they would break us off. I'm like, dude, I've never been broken off by a bass. I was like shocked, like shell shock. And um, I, I, I must have caught, like that one particular day, I must have caught maybe like eight or nine fish that were in the eight-pound class, maybe a wow. dozen seven-pounders. And I've done it a handful of times. And it, the frog bite back there was absolutely insane. I, I have a... Savage Gear sent me a box of frogs, of topwater frogs, and I must have gotten like about a hundred frogs from them. I used, I destroyed all of them. I took a picture and sent them to them. I was like, in about three months, there was not a frog that existed in that box. Was, they were all torn to shreds. Gene says she and used the, the big easies. That's 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 it. That's the one. The big easies. Blah 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 blah. Oh my god, they they destroy those things. And you can you can swim in, in a million different ways. I just like buzzing them. Where they made this like particular sound, the buzz baits. I mean, buzz baits to me were, were phenomenal back there. You know, I would hang it off the side of the car on the way over there, the thirty minutes, and just wear them down so they get that nice little pitch. So they'd come mm-hmm. in broken in. I'd break them out of the package, the booyahs, and just hang it off the back of the car. Oh and yeah, thirty minute, thirty minutes of hearing clicking, but it was worth it. So by the time I got there, they were nice and worn in and like tuned in and throw a yep. burner frog little toad on it and. It was instant. I, I caught a lot of big bass on that. And then I learned how to punch. I was doing a lot of punching because we have a lot of cover here, a lot of, a lot of grass. So I, I, was, mm-hmm. I was figuring out the punching, and it was being successful. I, I, that, to me, the frog and the punch were probably my favorite. And oh, then yeah. what, I, what I always say, I think sinkos should be banned from tournament fishing because I, I think it's just, <laughs> they really should. It, it was just dumb. Sinkos should really be banned <laughs> from tournament fishing because it's just not fair. If the fishing gets tough, you can almost guarantee you can catch them on a Cinco. A Cinco, yeah. always, always. I mean, you can yeah. wacky them. You can do whatever you want with a Cinco, and they just work. So I don't just – but we were throwing these giant Cinco's. They really didn't like the finesse Cinco's in that one particular spot because we, we would try to finesse them in the deeper waters because there was some it's – a, it's a pit. Mm-hmm. And they just dug it out and let the swamp take over it. And some of the deeper water in the summertime, the, the big Cinco's wouldn't work. So we were throwing these, like, these six, seven-inch Cinco's that weighed like half a ton. And uh, they would just annihilate the sinkholes. I mean, I had a couple holes that you would throw, and every cast was like, mm. you, you would just hear the rod, and just the drag just ripping out, and it's a six-pound, seven-pound bass. But I did a lot of bass fishing. I started doing the, the 
the KBFs, the, the local stuff where it was mm-hmm. a statewide stuff. I won a few of those. Between me and my buddy, we were just like flip-flopping. We would flip-flop the wins. So I won a few of those. I mean, I, we, we had qualified for, for the state cha- the, the championship to go up to Gunners. And we were supposed to go to Gunners. My buddy had a, an, an elbow injury as well, too. So we weren't able to go up there. But we were, we were planning to go up there and then kind of throw our wet our feet in there inside the, the bass scene. I, I love it. I, I love chasing pickles. I really do. I, it's it's fun down here. But unfortunately, the guiding kind of takes precedent, and right. I don't have an I don't have enough time to do the the bass fishing as much as I want to. So now, but if I, somebody wants to, let's say somebody wants to book a trip, like what are some of the things that you offer to clientele? Um, some of your specialized trips that you could take somebody on today if they wanted to go. It depends on the year, but let's say today, I mean, you would have the Keys. We would do the flats fishing. So you would have that where anywhere in the Keys, from Key Largo down to Big Pine. Mm-hmm. It all depends on what the tides are doing. Winter time, I start offering more kind of October. I start offering more of the backcountry. That's fun because you're going through small little creeks, getting away from people. We're going to no motor zones back there. And mm-hmm. I have a trillion places back there that I can. you can get lost back there. Like Clients are like, they have no idea how to come back. <laughs> so I can't get I, I can't disappear on them. So um but the fishing is phenomenal. I mean forty snook days, fifty snook days, bunch of tarpon, redfish, trout, big tra- uh big jacks. I mean, it, it just gets wild back there. I've seen black drum back there too. I've had phenomenal black drum. Uh I go all the way up to the west coast. I'll do a couple trips over there on the west coast as well too. I'll do the snook, I'll do some tarpon fishing over there too. There's some redfish over there, a lot of redfish over there. I'll do the beach thing every once in a while for the triple tail. I kind of, kind of hit and miss. It, it needs mm-hmm. to be weather related and 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 how the traps are doing for the triple tail. But those things are fun. But it, it all depends on on my my client's experience, where where what type of fishing they've done. If they're good with the bait caster or they're good with the spinning rod, can we get you know decent shots? What's your accuracy? And then if you're you're a beginner, because I, I do from advanced to beginner. If you're a beginner. And you really don't understand how to the concept of it, or don't know how to throw even a bait caster, mm-hmm. or not a bait caster, but a spinning rod. You're, you're still learning. I have a program for them as well too. You don't have to sit and chase fish down and be standing up the entire time. We can sit down and soak baits and and have these fish come to us. I can get fish to come to me. So I know where their lanes are at. I know where they're going to traverse. I know where they're going to 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 frequent the most. So I kind of position myself in these in these spots, and and I could have the fish come to us, and and we could almost hand feed these fish. You know, we're sitting down. The kayaks are such a small footprint, and since you're so low to the water, the fish don't really don't bother with you. I've had them swim. I've had bonefish swim underneath the kayak and eat mm. pieces of shrimp underneath the kayak. Man, I've lost more bonefish underneath the kayak than, than I like to even admit. Where I've literally told the clients that just put the bait in an open bale, and the bait's underneath. The bonefish eats, and the the impact is so so close that it's such a hard mm-hmm. impact when they take off that they just snap the leaders. So I'm fishing <laughs> 15, 12 pound, 15 pound leaders. They're super light and 10 pound braid. Mm-hmm. That first initial shock from the leader, usually you're cooked on 10 pound braid or, or I mean on 10 pound leader or 12 pound leader, it's cooked. I mean, there's nothing you can do about it. But it, there, there's a program for everybody. If you're advanced, then I'll pick a flat where I know these fish are going to come in. They're going to slide in early in the morning. They're going to tail, and we can kind of cut them off and and throw fly at them, or even throw the spin and, and be very finesse. You know, throw real light 
stuff at them, little shrimp, little jigs, and 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 coach them like feed them, get them to mm-hmm. eat, like watch the fish react to your to your cast, watch them come up, and then you'll see the little the little wiggle of their tail because they're they're trying to pin your your shrimp down or your little lure down, and that's that's at the the, the latter age, the latter start that of it, the, the the advanced portion of it, but even intermediate, like you can cast. You can kind of stand up in the kayak, which is the beauty about the kayaks, the, the Jacksons. They, they're all capable of being able to stand up. The bite mm-hmm. is probably one of the best acquisitions I've made in a long time. I spent a really long time not buying kayaks because they just they weren't fitting for my for my area here. Mm-hmm. And um, the bite came out and got to thank Chris Funk. Got to give him a shout out because I spent I bugged him for about two days nonstop, like texting and bugging him, talking on the phone, and and and. Just getting feedback because I, I do I do believe in, in his feedback. He's pretty pretty blunt oh. and honest when he tells you something. Very much. So he 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 added and he told me he's like you're gonna be happy with these boats. So I got two bites and I, I'm about to I I want a third one because and I'm gonna end up bringing that third one for me where I could use that boat for some of these crappier launches where it's not a ditch it's literally a a cliff that I gotta go down and and now with the take two that's a big boat that's a little bit more boat than i need to be honest with you but um i'm actually gonna start working something new with that boat as well too i can get a second person i can stand on the back of that boat and get a person on the front standing and i can push pull them around without a hitch with i've done it already twice now with two clients where we've gone out he's gone out on his bike he can't see the fish and we're having issues seeing fish so i park his bike have him hop into my boat I jump to the back of the boat and I just push pull and I can call fish out and, and be like, all right, 10 o'clock, there's a fish coming. There's, you see the grass spot right there where it's meeting that little sand. Look at the sand. You see the, the shadow. Yes. I see the fish. No, there we go. And I can hold the boat and position the boat for my clients a little better and they can get better shots at these fish uh, with that take two. So I'm kind of working that into the system. I'm kind of working the bugs out. I can't do it with everybody because not everybody is as nimble as some of the people that I've done it with where they can hop in from one boat to the next. But clients that I could, uh, you know, they're, they're higher in, in caliber that I can get them portage from one kayak to the other without a hitch. And the take two is, it's a barge. It's, it's incredibly fast <laughs> and nimble. It doesn't like to spin around. The boat's that's about the only complaint I have. It's hard mm-hmm. to, to, get her, to get her to turn. To, to pivot, especially Poland, mm-hmm. even with me standing in the back and someone in the front, she doesn't pivot really well. But um, I'm used to the big rig that I can do spins around with that boat. But it's mm-hmm. it, it's an amazing platform, you know. I can it eats up gear and it's fast with the torpedo. I oh, gained yeah. about like twenty five percent more efficiency from going from the big rig to that boat, and um, I, I've I'm I'm I've really liking it. So still working some kinks out. I got some other ideas that I'll, I'll be posting on the team chat so you guys can see it. I got an idea mm-hmm. for the front of the boat to, to mitigate some space and, and store stuff up there so people could have an extra storage room up there. So I got an idea with some Kydex. So that's in the work. But that that's that's kind of the program down here. It, it, all, it all depends. You know, I ask a lot of questions from my clients. I, I tell a lot of my clients not to be apprehensive and not to... to how can I say it? Um, not to be scared, to to because I get clients who are like, oh, I can fly cast, but they think that if I tell them they can't fly cast, that I'm gonna be like, listen, we can't do this. No, just tell me. 
because then I go mentally prepared and I can help you improve. You know, a lot of my fly clients, I'll, I'll have them fly cast at the ramp. And if they can't fly class, I'll just haul the kayaks back out. And then like, listen, we're going to sit on the side of the ramp for about an hour. It's part of the program here. And, and we'll, we'll, we'll try to work on that double haul. The double haul is like, it's a must down here. If you don't have a double haul, just don't come down. Just practice on the double haul. And if you do come down, like, let me know. So I can either, we can either meet up the day before the trip and we can spend two or three hours at the park working on your cast. So when you show up in the morning, we can kind of fine tune it in the morning and warm it up. And then we can progress on the cast as, uh, as during the day and just keep working, fine tuning these caps, you know? Mm-hmm. But it's just like spinning rod. Just let me know. Like I, I always tell clients, I was like, just let me know what you, what type of, of, of caliber you are. I was like, I could care less if you're intermediate, if you've never even cast a, a rod before, you've never done it. You just want to learn. Because that's that's the clientele that I want. That's where I'm mm-hmm. gearing my fishing toward. I want I want fresh clientele that 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 is learning. That's learning how to kayak fish. That's learning how to get themselves in the, into the sport. I don't want to to scare them away or be like this is too difficult or this is not going to pan out right. Like I, I don't I'm not comfortable. I don't want to give them that that appearance of, of the sport because it's not because the sports it's it's very personal. It's like a, a romantic novel basically. You know you're very up and personal close to these fish and and when things go right it can, it's it's beautiful you, know? you get to see these fish eat and swim in their environment we're fishing gin clear water and less than a foot of water sometimes you see you, everything happens and involves and, and comes comes together and, and dissolves in front of you at the same time so it, it's a unique fishery it really is uh i don't I, I just never understood why why not i mean how can i put it i mean i just never understood why why it's never grown I guess I shouldn't be complaining because then if it grows too much, then I got more problems. <laughs> but I never understood. I, I think it's the, the the hard part of it. It's it's difficult down here. It really is. It's not for the faint of heart. But if you p- apply time, and and it doesn't need to be a, a tremendous amount of time. Like everybody thinks that you have to be down here for a month, you know, a, a couple days, and you can kind of put things together and have an idea of what it is. But I never understood why no one ever any company. I mean, I, I was part of Reddington, and they would come down here every once in a while to, to fish down here, and they would rather go to Belize, and then they would send me pictures of Belize catching, like, five little three-pound bonefish. I'm like, you could have came to the States and just jumped in the kayak, and we could have caught five or six eight- nice. to ten-pound bonefish on fly and tarpon and done the same thing, and you would have been ten minutes from home on your flight. But they always stopped here and dropped everything off, which was such a, I mean, I'm complaining, but it was such a boxes full of crap that they would send me. I'm like, dude, I don't need a, a crate full of rods and, and reels and, and gear. But I never understood why the, I think the industry's always been scared. I, I don't think there's enough stigma, like enough limelight behind it down here. Again, I'm complaining, but not because I don't want everybody <laughs> to come down here and swamp this area. But it's a fishery that at some juncture, everybody should do it at least once where you can kind of witness this and see it and, and enjoy it. I think it's just like for me, I've never freshwater fished. I've never caught mm-hmm. trout, which is part of my list. And I've never caught a smallmouth. Mm-hmm. I've been dying right. to catch a brown and I've been dying to catch a smallmouth. I've never been able to experience that. And I have to do it at least once in my lifetime, go up north and experience this because I want to see the, where these fish live. I've seen plenty right. of videos and I've seen plenty of pictures. There's plenty of, of, of media outlet for that, for me to see it. But one thing is seeing it, and one thing is like sitting out there and breathing in that air, smelling that that uh, the conifers and the water, the fresh water, and hearing it, 
hearing the stream for yourself, you know, where you, you're, you're cognitively like interacting with this, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's just like being in the Everglades at, at five o'clock in the morning and, and smelling all the different smells that the Everglades have to have and hearing the bugs and the frogs and it's just going off when you're hearing the fishy pop and it's something that at least once in your lifetime you have to experience and come down here and do it. It's the same thing on flats. So that's kind of what, what I, I gear my fishery towards. I, I try to, to educate my clients as much as possible about the area, the ecology, the fish, what travels through here. Look, with the last two trips, the, the day before the Monday, last Monday, we turned the corner and there was a little baby crocodile sitting in the middle of the bay. Mm-hmm. I've fished the bay since like 2008 and I've only seen two in the middle of the bay. That was the second one. So my client got to see a croc. He's never seen a cro- crocodile in his life before. He's like, oh, I've never seen a croc. And I, I could, I could have reached out and grabbed it if I wanted to. He let us get real close to it. So I let him get close to it and want to look at him. I'm like, oh, you know, these are the distinctions between a crocodile and a freshwater alligator. Mm-hmm. And then the following day we came in there and there was um, a bunch of otters sitting out in the middle of the bay, goofing around, doing their mm-hmm. thing. You know, there was a ba- little baby otter and there was a, the mama and the dad were, were doing their thing, collecting food. And my clients got to see that they had never seen otters they didn't, even, they didn't even know otters existed in the united states or like in south florida oh, wow. i was like dude these things are everywhere down here and i was like they only show up in like super 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 negative tides down here they kind of get pushed out of the mangroves and mm-hmm. all over the flats they get on the flats so they're cool when you get to hear them chirping and doing their thing and playing and mom scolding the little baby so we sat there for like an hour watching this you know with, with bonefish kind of tailing in between them and we were watching the otters more than we were watching the bones so that that's kind of the experience that 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 I've built this this business behind. Like, that's awesome. fishing is 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 the staple. This is what you're down here. You want to catch your dream fish. Like I basically tell clients, tell me what you want to do. Like mm-hmm. I don't tell them what I want to do or this is my program. The first thing that ever comes out of my mouth when I meet clients is, what do you want to do? I don't. I don't. I'm, we've never met. Like I need to know what you want to do. Like. Tell me what you want to do, what your goals are, what you want to learn from this, and and right. that's what we'll build this 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 package. This is what we're going to build, and this is what we're going to go off of, and and that's where where we stem our business off of. Like, that's a good way to do it. The the client's paying, so he's the one in charge. I was like, I'm just the guy that just has local knowledge, you know, <laughs> yep. endless amount of local knowledge, and I'm going to do my best to to appease you, and and hopefully we can put this together. You know? So it's, as we kind of as we kind of round this thing out here, talking about getting in touch with you and all that, um, how do the guests get in touch with you um, to book a trip and to set everything up? What are the steps that they need to go through to make that contact? I mean, you can reach me through my website, which is bonecollectorkayakfishing.com. You can also reach through social media. I talk to plenty of, of clients through social media with Instagram, which is uh, bonecollector under slash kayak fishing you can send me a message there and then we'll connect and then once we kind of pick out and we have an idea what we want to do and what you want to do i send you to my my booking link which is through any creek and or you can go through any creek too and they'll you can reach out to them and they'll just link you to my to my booking site and you can leave me a message through there and you can do your your booking through your your dates you can see my calendar through there and have an idea of what I have open, what I have available, uh, of availability, what I don't have availability. And mm-hmm. that's that's kind of the easiest way of doing it. Or, I mean, easiest way is probably through my website. My, my email is there, my phone number is there. I usually, I'm pretty good about picking up my phone and answering messages on Instagram and like social media. It takes me a while. I try not to be on there as much as possible. 
Um, but text message or email, I get those alerts immediately. So I have it where I, I could hear them and I have it kind of set up where distinct noise where I know it's a client. And I'm pretty good about picking up or sending a message. Even if I'm on the water, I'll be like, I'll call you back. I'm on the water. Just leave me mm-hmm. a brief little message. And I, uh, as soon as I get back in the car, I, I usually get my clients call. I'm pretty good about it. So those are usually the easiest ways to reach me. So email, phone number, my Instagram, Facebook, or mm-hmm. through any Greek. But awesome. Yeah. And uh, so one of the other things we like to let our guests do is thank the people that they need to thank, um, sponsors and, and the different things like that. And obviously you're told where to find you on social. So I'll let you thank whoever you, you need to thank there. Uh, starting off with, with Jackson, because, I mean, if it wasn't for Jackson Kayaks, we wouldn't be having this chit-chat. So mm-hmm. they're, first and foremost, they get the thanks because they've made a hell of a product for the last few years, and it's kept me in the water, and it's just pushed me harder and harder and harder, and hopefully they keep growing, and hopefully we can make a boat that kind of gears toward flats fishing. It's the dream. Kind of gear for down, gear down here and then torpedo to Jeff Little for always, you know, for, especially for helping me out recently. He really got me out of a bind with the, with an engine issue. So torpedoes actually changed everything. And to any Creek for, for helping me with my bookings and, and keeping things streamlined. They've been a, a huge asset as well too. So these are three pivotal companies that have made my business grow and, and build, build on it and, expand so and make it even better than what it is before so and make it easier streamlined and, and user-friendly for clients to come down here and enjoy themselves so very awesome man very yeah. awesome well alec captain we thank you for being on the show tonight and chad zach thank you guys hey man it was awesome um thanks to all you guys in the crowd that listened to us tonight we we always appreciate you guys uh taking time to listen to our guests and and see what their story is all about and tonight is no exception hopefully zach and i will be signing up for one of them peacock bass trips here real soon. yeah, yeah. <laughs> i'm bringing the camera Listen, for that one Pe- peacocks are one that not only have i wanted to catch it's on our list photo of that fish for sure Dude, we can set it up where you can catch just knock everything out where you can catch the clown you can catch the peas you can catch the the hybrids and there's some snakehead kind of not too far from there. They're around. I mean, you can literally catch all three in one spot parked. You can catch a dozen peacocks, catch your clown, catch the hybrid, and catch your, your freshwater bass, your Florida bass strain as well, too. So they're there. It's, as long as you let Chris Funk come with me and hold my hand to ward <laughs> off the gators and the snakes, we'll be fine. I've invited Chris. I've told Chris a million times. He gets by here, but he never makes it far enough down here. As a matter of fact, I am upset with him. He did make it down here. I think he was on his honeymoon or something down here in the Keys, and he didn't call me. I was like, I was pretty, I was pretty kind of bummed about it. I was like, man, dude, you could have called me. At the very least, I could have had lunch with you and, yep. and, and your wife. We could have had lunch. But um, to, to his avail, there was a tropical storm coming through. <laughs> Usually if Jameson's around, the tropical storms are coming. So, Seriously. Yeah. I think I fished with James a handful of times, and it's it, you would get like one good day of, of, <laughs> of good weather. I think James, he came down with Jim Sampson one time. Yeah. No, it wasn't him. Jim Sampson came down one time, and of course, he dragged down twice. He's dragged down weather. I was like, yep. dude, I, we can't fish, dude. Every time you come down, I feel bad for him. You drag, you drag some type of like – 
Yeah, these yeah. things where you drag, we've had like perfect weather and you're dragging down all this wind and weather and storm. <laughs> but uh, Jameson, it's like 50-50. He does bring yeah. some good weather and some bad weather sometimes, but those guys are, are all fun to fish with. Absolutely. But Chris Funk, Chris Funk owes me a trip when he came down here and just literally drove right by me. Like literally had to drive by me. I was like, dude, you drove, like you were on the turnpike. You drove like five minutes. I could have thrown a rock at you in the car if I knew it was you. That's well, hopefully we can make it all happen one day. That would yeah. be awesome. Yeah, we need to, we need to bring down a few guys down here and uh, yep. and, and do a shoot down here. I told Jameson that. I was like, it's, it's been due. It's been a while. I remember they came down a few times. Yeah, it's been a while. Big group of you guys and, and we – Yep, and we when we fished uh, down in the Lower Keys, we had some good times out there. So it's time we got to do something out here. Yep, absolutely. Just a hell of a drive. Yeah. Well, look, Captain, I appreciate you being on the show. Guys, like it. it's been a it's been a good one. So all you guys that Thanks, are listening, guys. check back with us tomorrow night. Tomorrow night we've got uh, Jackson Kayak Doc Talk on a Wednesday night, our new scheduled time throughout the summer. So we'll see nice. you guys tomorrow night. Bye bye. Thanks, guys. Later, guys.